0: hello and welcome to the latest episode of the online warriors podcast a rare morning record for the three amigos the three musketeers whatever you'd like to call us i'm lady six. i'm joined by nerd bomber and tactic what's the coffee situation over over in your guys neck of the woods are you currently drinking coffee is it an iced coffee is it a hot coffee Tell me everything you possibly
1: can. I finished my coffee for the morning, but it was a hot pumpkin spice coffee. And I'm not talking like a latte from elsewhere, like pumpkin spice flavored coffee grounds and my own coffee mug made here at home. Not quite as good, though, but still delicious.
2: This was a pre-lubricated situation. We're not coming in with the jelly right, I have right, coffee. At, right off the bat.
0: I mean, I have, I'm I'm still, and I'm glad that we're going down this road because I, in the summer, transitioned to iced coffee. I am currently drinking iced coffee, but I'm contemplating the switch considering that we're getting towards fall times. I don't Bama, I don't know if you drink iced coffee ever, but considering that you're I pumpkin do. spicing it, I would say that you have declared that fall has has begun. Are you declaring that? Are you willing to declare I mean, that yes. To the listeners? We
1: went to Barnes and Noble yesterday and we stopped at the Starbucks because the barnes and noble starbucks every time you buy a book you get a coupon for a dollar off so of course you have to go get barnes and noble cafe which is basically starbucks but a good tip. we got pumpkin spice frappuccinos because you just you gotta once they're out it's such a limited season you just gotta go hard and even like at home so our pumpkin spice coffee situation last year and i know it's probably like grody because they're old but i bought a bunch of k-cups like the bulk pack like 160 pumpkin spice cake cups and like we still have them i'm not drinking pumpkin spice every day but it's like a nice weekend like delicious so we have a bunch of those that we're still working through
0: now do you consider yourself basic I do. Do you remember that? I do you cons- remember the whole I consider like ba- myself basic thing? I say this yeah. every single year.
1: There's nothing wrong I feel with like being that's, basic.
0: Yeah, like I, I mean, I don't like pumpkin spice. I still think I'm probably basic. The definition basic is, of being is a basic good thing. is liking like seasonal things and comfy things.
2: Who the fuck doesn't like seasonal and comfy things?
0: Yeah, go off. I'm also, and I, I think I said this in a recent episode, but I want to make it as clear as possible. Everyone should go to Barnes and Noble. I, I, I just, I want to like. Barnes & Noble, I think, had a bad stretch there. I think they're on the up and up. And actually, in a lot of cases, if you look at Barnes & Noble's prices, they're starting to come back to a at least comparable zone to to Jeff Bezos. So especially when you go to get the cappuccino and get a dollar off, you're probably in business. So if there's a Barnes & Noble in your neck of the woods, listener, I recommend it. I am willing to declare that fall has begun at this point. The main reason being that football has started. To me, that is the kind of the quintessential, okay, it is now fall. I'm not, I'm not like in like apple cider fall yet, but I mean, I probably will be in the next couple of weeks.
1: I need to carve out time to go, there's like cider mills all over to Northeast and I want to carve out time to go to a cider mill because I am feeling like it is starting to get chilly. It was really warm up until last week and then we got like slammed in the face with fall weather. And so now I'm like feeling it and like i could go for a good fresh apple cider
0: the most exciting thing about fall now i'm a huge football fan i do like a good apple cider i like a good a good chill in the air far and away the most exciting thing about fall is the fact that sweater weather is returning i am a i'm a big sweater person as i believe these the two co-hosts here are aware and i could not be more excited that that sweater weather is coming back so be on the lookout for i don't know sweaters because it's about that time we have a big episode today we're going to be covering rotten tomatoes which we talked a lot about on the show recently for various reasons and we're going to be talking about rotten tomatoes specifically today we're going to be talking about some nintendo news in two forms one being some news on the switch 2 which was apparently demoed at gamescom 2023 and then we're going to be talking about a game that has been remastered and you know, I tend to fall on the right side of remasters. I'm generally pro remasters. And uh, you'll just have to wait and see whether I fall on the pro side of this remaster, which I've never played, but we'll get to that. I want to start with Rotten Tomatoes because we've talked about Rotten Tomatoes recently in a couple of different contexts. Nerd Bomber, I know you in particular have a lot of bones to pick with Rotten Tomatoes. And, and in particular, I think you just aren't willing to believe in the critic scores. The audience scores, maybe, but the critic scores, no. Is that, a, first of all, is that a fair assessment of your current relationship with Rotten
1: Tomatoes? Yeah, I would say so. I think that, you know, critics tend to judge things a little bit too harshly. And, you know, it's funny when you actually will read their like long form reviews. There's obviously the number slapped at the end. But, you know, when you read the long form reviews, a lot of them end up liking it more than that number would really, you know, indicate. And I don't know. It just seems like, there is this this trend where if something isn't quote-unquote artsy enough, you don't rate it as highly because it's not like quote-unquote good cinema. But there are good movies out there that don't need to be this like artsy thing and then get low ratings and then the audience loves it. So like, I don't know. I think the number system all around is kind of skewed, especially when you're talking right. about, you know critics who are looking at it from a different lens than the average viewer i don't think it reflects what the average viewer necessarily is looking for
0: well and and to to kind of build on that before we even get to the, the story here i do i was thinking about it when after reading this story you know rotten tomatoes is very interesting because critics like you said you can read kind of the long form little blurbs that they write about the movie but the review they ultimately give is a simple duality of is it good or is it bad i feel like that alone kind of robs Rotten Tomatoes of a little bit more like cachet in terms of me taking stock in the reviews. I mean, of course, then it gets all those good versus bads get fed into what ultimately becomes a percentage. And the percentage is what you can use to basically translate it to a, a star rating if you want to go old school, three and a half stars to or zero stars to four stars, that sort of thing. But I don't know. I think... In things like movies and in art in general, there's a lot of room for shades of gray. You can like something for some reasons and you can dislike it for other reasons. So it must make it very hard for critics to even sometimes say this was good or this was bad. And you're kind of just making a base statement that loses a lot of context. So with all that in mind, Rotten Tomatoes currently... This was a story that broke last week. Under fire, it was revealed that a PR firm paid critics for positive reviews. For a movie in 2018, a PR firm paid critics to goose reviews of the movie Ophelia, which apparently starred Daisy Ridley, came out in 2018. Now, let me be the first to say, this didn't... The article goes on to say that it worked because... It started rotten and eventually became fresh. It did not work in the context of the fact that I have never heard of this movie. Yeah, so... <laughs> even a little bit. So,
2: it, it's, it's I, it, yeah. It goes beyond just this movie. It's more specifically geared towards these smaller independent films. Which, like, in my head, I was already suspicious of this when, when Nerd Bomber s- said that Slotherhouse had rave reviews. And literally, it was only one critic and no one else had really seen it yet. So... This isn't I'm a surprise. Still no, stop. Yeah. Slaughterhouse House is getting getting padded with with these cash bribes, so to speak.
0: Yeah, I mean, let well, me be the first to say, you know, I imagine larger studios are probably doing much the same thing. Like th- th- this, That's, yes. This is a small indie movie that a PR firm that is named in this story from Vulture basically says, yeah, they paid re- paid reviewers 50 bucks a pop to give positive reviews and goose it from a 46 to a 62 therefore making it fresh and the main difference is, led to it.
2: is getting paid by these bigger studios too no i don't want to make these accusations but yeah I, I think everyone is going to be doing whatever they could to increase the so to speak value of a movie and get people to see it that said and this is something i have mentioned well before on the podcast Anyone should not take Rotten Tomatoes as the gospel. They should take it as a, eh, okay, rough comparison. This is what we only use it for. We don't use it to pick movies that we're going to just watch. We use it to compare movies, one relative to the other, because that's a better approach to normalizing two movies that you can't decide between what you should really do to pick your movie is look at the trailer talk to friends like watch videos that's the true meat and potatoes of if you're gonna like it everyone
0: has different tastes i love mashed potatoes but you guys might not i i will cop to having used rotten tomatoes to make decisions about watching movies like like I'll, i'll own that i i own a game a card game where you have to arrange movies by Rotten Tomatoes scores. Like Rotten that Tomatoes is, is now that it is a lot of fun. There's it's now kind of a, p- a part of our culture and I do appreciate the discussion that's going on and being led by people like Martin Scorsese who has come out staunchly against Rotten Tomatoes. Like I think it is worth scrutinizing it as why do we make decisions based on this or should we make decisions based on this because as you kind of mentioned tactic there's so much at stake here but like this story again about ophelia kind of goes on to mention that when it became fresh it was picked up for distribution i think after it was shown at a festival or something it probably wouldn't have been had the movie been rotten you know distributors you need all the way down to consumers are looking at these scores and making decisions based on those scores so like it's it's critically important that a movie have good scores in order to be a commercial success i don't know the extent to which those two things should be tied together. If they should be tied together at all, it should probably be less. But another thing that this article doesn't really talk about and another thing that has happened numerous times in the past few years, most notably, I think, with The Last Jedi is review bombing yeah. on on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, people basically saying, I don't like this movie. I think in the case of the Last Jedi, it was because it was quote unquote woke. But there really could be any reason they will go on and they will essentially tank the audience score because the critics aren't going to do that. Obviously, but tank the audience score. Or and if they're
1: getting paid fifty dollars, maybe they will.
0: Maybe the critics do. That's true. When I'm using Rotten Tomatoes, I tend to look at the critic score. I bring in the audience score if it's if it's a borderline candidate for for me watching it. I will say too, with regards to my use of Rotten Tomatoes, there have been times when I have watched movies without looking at the Rotten Tomatoes and if i had looked at the rotten tomatoes it would have saved me time like one of the more recent examples i know i talked about this on the podcast was a movie called the snowman i watched it blind because it had michael fassbender in it and it looked good it was like the worst movie i'd ever seen and i went rotten tomatoes afterwards and it had like a five percent or something so there are certain cases i think rotten tomatoes can correctly identify things that are beyond the pale as like really really good or really really bad it's when you get in like the the middle ground. Uh, probably the yeah like 30 to 70 percent range where it becomes really really subjective and probably very difficult to even in the case that you're describing tactic like kind of grade two movies against each other and decide which one to watch if you're looking at a 30 percent score versus a you know 60 percent score it's very possible that it's wrong especially considering that it's a subjective opinion so
1: and it's tough to know how to solve this problem because if you went back. 20, 30 years ago, there were, like, main staples in movie reviewing like you had ebert you know I, i can't even remember other critics off the top of my head but you had like specific review houses that would publish in newspapers there were only a handful of them you got a decent feel for like how the critic felt about different genres of movies so you could like read a review and be like oh well you know they don't like the same type of movies that i like so maybe this review isn't going to hit home for me but now because you know the advent of the internet and there's so many different review outlets. There's so many different critics out there. It's just it's hard to distill all of the information that we have down. And I don't know what the solution is, because the easiest thing is to try to come up with, you know, an aggregate score for all the critics. But it almost feels like we need something like an algorithm where, you know, if you really care about cinema and review scores and finding something that's aligned with your taste, you could almost like rate movies that you like versus dislike and then it would show you other reviewers who f- kind of fall in that same taste profile and then how they feel about right. movies but you know like i said there's so many different critics now i don't even know how that would be possible
2: a good example too of this you're going to enjoy the movie regardless of the tometer tomato to to-me-
1: tomatoes
2: tomato meter tomato meter tomato meter
1: i like that instead though can we just call it the Tometer?
2: i when i was younger i loved the movie underworld
0: That has a thirty-one percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That just feels not cool. Yeah, I I think everyone has an example of this. Like, let me look it up really quick. I believe the nineteen ninety nine Mummy, which is like one of my favorite movies ever. I think it has like a forty something on Rotten Tomatoes, and it is to me indubitably a better movie than that. Okay, that's a sixty, but like, come on, that movie is now like a cultural icon. Like, I I don't even think I'm being biased there. I think most people that see that movie love it. It's you know. The other thing about this and another lens to kind of look at this through is the fact that movies have changed pretty drastically since Rotten Tomatoes started, right? Like we've heard so much about how the mid-budget movie, you know, right, these days there are either big budget franchise pieces or there are indie movies and the in-between stuff is so much less prominent. I, I wonder the extent to which that factors into this. And, and the other thing about it too, and kind of going back to how much cachet Rotten Tomatoes has, whether it should or it shouldn't. Have you guys ever seen on Twitter or X or whatever we want to call it now? There are accounts that will literally say like X movie that's coming out on Friday debuts with X percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I see tweets like that all the time. And maybe because I'm like big on movie t- Twitter or something. But you will click it and it will say like yeah, it has a 70% on like four reviews or something. Like it's it's I think a lot of The problem here is that people are looking at these scores without context of any kind. It's trying to boil it down to one number and one metric, which I appreciate. But at what cost, (laughs) I think is like the general question. And and again, kind of swinging it back to the story here, when PR firms and like I said, most likely studios can game it like this, what value does it even have anymore? You know where? Where I think it's a very valid question, and it's a question you were asking, nerd bombers, Is like, where do we look if not to Rotten Tomatoes for opinions on what we should be watching? How do we how do we cut through this and and take this single number and dissect it and make it more targeted? It's a valid question. There, I think there may be a a space here for another site or another I don't know institution, something to like you said, kind of tailor it more to what a given viewer is looking for. There may be things like that out there already, but if, if there are things like that out there already, I don't know about them. They're not as culturally pervasive as Rotten Tomatoes is.
1: I just have to give a quick update, by the way. So Tactic was right. There's not a lot of critics reviewing Slaughterhouse right now, but it has a great Rotten Tomatoes score based on the audience score, which has over 100 users giving us that information. So sus. sus. just saying it's got a 92% audience score with 100 plus ratings.
0: Okay, I did just check your work. I mean, 71% on seven reviews. That's better than a sharp stick in the eye.
1: Chrissy C says, surprisingly great movie that I would watch again.
0: But this is this is a, a really good kind of test case, too, is like, this movie has been reviewed seven by seven critics. Like, I, I don't know how to take that score. You know, like, I, I don't know how to, if I'm deciding whether to watch Swather House, I would look at the 71 and be like, okay, pretty good. And I would look at the seven reviews and be like, well, is it that good if so many, so few people have watched it? You know, there's just a lot of a lot of variables involved. Nuance. but That's a good word for it. What do you think of Rotten Tomatoes, listener? Are you a Rotten Tomatoes fan? Are you surprised by this news? Probably not. Do you think Rotten Tomatoes should? Do you think Rotten Tomatoes is rotten? That's that's there's a punchy question. Let us know at OW the Lady Six is my account. We have at OW tactic at OW bomber and our main show account at Online Warriors One all on X. You can also follow us on Instagram. I believe at online warriors podcast question mark you, you should be able to yes finance. sir and I think are we still on threads is threads over <laughs> should, should we talk about that that's not a news topic but is threads still going on is it over do we even know I've heard a lot of nothing about it in the past few weeks
1: yeah we're technically on threads I have not been doing a great job we were not getting a lot of traction on threads it, it's tough I don't know if it's still a thing if you're using Threads, please let us know.
0: I was not, to be clear, I was not grilling you on like, what is our Threads presence like? I was more like, is Threads still even going on? Or is is it like a Google Plus situation where like it just kind of like had a big start and then fizzled out? I feel like I'd be hearing about it a lot more if it, if it was actually like going on still. Someone can let us know about that if they want to hit us up on, on X. Let's move on to the Switch 2. Nintendo reportedly demoed the Switch 2 at Gamescom 2023. The main plot point here for me i mean you know this was a closed-door situation we haven't seen anything we don't really know anything all we can do is speculate and say what we want the main thing we have been told uh, based on this article is that performance is quote-unquote comparable to ps5 and xbox series in terms of visuals now i will say that's a good start i'm also going to go out on a limb here and say in the context of the switch i don't know that i care like is is that a for what nintendo is known for for what games it produces and for what games people play on it is that of critical importance i i kind of want that to be a think tank question here and and if not that what would you like to see from from the switch two is i guess another question another major question that's outstanding is backwards compatibility which we don't know anything about yet but this is expected to come around in 2024 sometime so we should talk about it now because we'll know soon what it is. So it
2: being comparable to the PS5 is huge, right? Everyone who maybe was on the fence with getting a Switch is mainly because they want to see, you know, graphically beautiful resolution. And now... What we what we understand is the Switch is actually doing some really clever things to achieve this comparable performance to a PS5. They don't necessarily have the hardware, but they're optimizing the way in which the screen and resolution is being portrayed to give you the this gorgeous expansive world. And what we what we understand was they've presented basically a roided out breath of the wild. And just, it looked, you know, 4K gorgeous on on the screen. What is critical with that statement, however, is we've all played the Switch and we say, wow, this game looks really good in handheld mode. Will it look just as optimized and beautiful and quote comparable to the ps5 when it's docked and that's something we still need to understand and really clear up because as as we've said this is kind of what we've heard through the grapevine and nothing has really been physically seen by us peons so to speak
0: i, I want to again i like i don't think like nintendo games and breath of the Wild is a good example like they're not striving for photorealism in any way so for me the graphics isn't as important as say the solid state drive from the ps5 like to me that would be a much more significant draw for me to to buying a switch 2, which to be clear i don't think i have any intention of buying a switch 2 unless they come out and they like cures cancer or something
1: you would never buy one
0: it's not that i would never buy one but like next year i certainly don't plan to i just have i just have no need for it but yeah i I, again i just i don't think the triangles are the important thing here In, in terms of handheld something else i wanted to mention it has been I don't know if it's rumored or confirmed that it will be. It will have an LCD screen as opposed to an OLED screen. Now,
1: I guess I me. could probably.
0: I, well, I was gonna say I guess I could probably tell the difference if I looked at the two side by side. But I don't know. Could I like? It's, again, I, I just I I think of the Switch as being such a different animal. Of like the performance specs of the visuals and the graphics and even the screen, like. I don't know how important it is. I really don't.
2: The other piece of news that has sort of been leaked is that they filed patents for Hall Effect-like Joy-Con, or joysticks. And so that's another piece that we've we've mentioned on the show with regards to other handheld gaming devices, their move to using the Hall Effect joysticks and how important that is for anti-drift. So they again, they're continuously improving on what the Switch 1 brought us and to just take it to the next level. And do you want to know what my opinion of the Switch 2 is? If you have a Switch, and they can play the same games, okay, I can see your stance of, you know, why, why would you bother buying a Switch 2? However, what the Switch 2 is doing, by having these people clamor that it's comparable to the PS5, is they're now redefining what the next generation of console hardware is, right? We've already seen the playstation 5 handheld cloud streaming device and so we know that the market as a whole has this huge desire to go fully portable while giving you high resolution and the switch 2 and its debut is being the pioneer which in a business that's where you want to be you want to be ahead of everyone else striving forward while and i'm going to quote you directly because we've talked about this prior to the show while your ps5 is collecting dust
0: yeah no at and it's a really good point. I totally agree that I think the direction generally is and should be taking some, something like the PS5 experience and making it more portable. So if that's what the next generation is, if that's the defining characteristic of the next generation, I'm all about that. And, and you know, Nintendo has the benefit of basically saying, hey, this is what people want and we were here first. So, yeah, I, I'm on board with that. The other thing, I, going back to the Joy-Con drift thing, I will say that I'm glad you brought that up as well, because that is one of the few things about the Switch that I have... I guess, experienced negatively about it. That is a real thing. And like, I don't I don't, I don't know that I'm you like using Joy-Con, right? my Joy-Cons. Yeah. I think just in one of them, but yes. So that is... And there's there's third-party controllers that exist
2: now that you can replace with, but like, you shouldn't have to, right? It should just work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It should be a little bit more more robust than that i don't know nerd Bomber. any anything you're on your wish list on the switch too that has not been mentioned i mean it's it's hard for me to like sit here and be like this this is the way the switch is perfect there's something to fix because i'm sure there is but like i don't know my wish list is very short for what this could give us
1: no you know i would love to see as we've mentioned you know a little bit better graphics one of the things that was a little bit frustrating so pokemon scarlet and violet was phenomenal i really enjoyed my experience and i know we talk about like triangles don't matter but there was some wonky graphic stuff going on with that game that i think it definitely took you out of the experience a little bit it was funny after a while so you just kept playing and you're like oh ha ha ha, i'm clipping through my pokemon or oh now when i put it on my tv this looks like crud but that's fine i'm having fun like i would like to just be able to experience that game without that sort of issue and there is a noticeable graphics difference between high-end games on the switch and the ps5 and the xbox and i'm not saying that you know triangles is the most important thing because it's not but i do think that especially with the advent of the switch or the Steam Deck, and all of these other handhelds that have shown that you can still have good graphic fidelity on a handheld unit. Like, I just think they need to do something to catch up with the rest of the class. And so I'm very, I'm hopeful that this will kind of address some of those problems. I do think, too, it'll give them more power and more options when it comes to their first-party games. I don't think anybody's expecting, you know, like a God of War-type experience coming out of the Switch, but if we got, say, like a Zelda game that could have full cinematic cutscenes with voiceovers that look like chef's kiss, like you're almost in a movie theater, that would be pretty dope. And I think it also limits you know, some of the games that can run on it because stuff like, oh boy, what was that zombie game where you parkour a lot? There's that, there's Kingdom Hearts, but like those things, if you wanted to play them on Switch, you have to stream them. And like, well, yeah, that's not a great yeah. experience. So if like you can get that type of game to You're run on the Dying Light yes thank you dying light like those games are technically on switch but you have to stream them from the cloud and if they can find a better play experience than having to stream from the cloud that would be swell
0: so well for yeah for for me the the example of that i guess and i've never bought this game i've certainly thought about buying doom eternal for a while doom eternal you can get on the switch do you want to like, like I I do think that is, I don't know that Nintendo has any interest in carving out any space in that genre or type of game relative to the other consoles, but improving graphics would be a way to do that. Like if I'm going to buy a game like doom, doom eternal, I'm probably not going to buy it for the switch because it's not going to look as good. I'm going to buy it for my PS five or PS four at the, at the time or whatever. So, but I, I guess I, I question If they're interested in that, or like you said, if they're even interested in taking a game like uh, taking an IP like Zelda and and supercharging it and giving it 3D cutscenes, like I don't know if they want a lot of these
2: game developers are not only interested in getting on the Switch platform, but are actively kicking themselves for not
0: getting on the original Switch due
2: to its mass popularity.
0: True, true. Another thing I'll mention as as we tell off on this story too, there are a bunch of games that are supposed to be due out between now in the end of the fiscal year which is uh, the switch is coming switch two is coming in the next fiscal year so they're trying to cram a lot of the existing switch titles kind of down our throats in the meantime metroid prime four is supposed to be one of those which i find very puzzling and confusing because we haven't heard a thing about it yet but that's just a sidebar from me on metroid prime four because i am who i am so yeah switch two what do you want to see hit us up at the handles we mentioned earlier in the episode let us know what tickles your fancy or what would tickle your fancy about a switch to or if you think the switch is just just gonna kind of roll with that for a while like me it's really it's really your call so right now we'll go to break as always before we go to break i would be remiss if i did not shout out our fantastic patreon producer mr stephen keller stephen was with us a couple weeks ago on the show that was one of the many perks he received as part of his patreon subscribership at the night level which is the highest of our three levels of support at the night level you get access to the monthly secret segment and vlog of course you get the occasional guest spot as steven got you get this producer shout out on every episode and you get input into the weekly game segment, which I believe Tactic is hosting this week. There's also a Squire level of support, which gets you access to the monthly secret segment and vlog, and a page level, which gets you access to the monthly secret segment. So over at patreon.com slash online warriors podcast, you can check out the deets, you can say hi to us, you can say hi to Steven, you can join this community, you can consider supporting this show, which hopefully if you're listening at this point, you like it because you've either listened to multiple episodes or you're halfway through the episode and you haven't shut it off yet. So thank you for sticking around thanks again to steven we'll be right back to talk about gargoyles do you love marvel but are tired of hearing cheeto stained white guys
2: talk about it are you hoping to see the x-men and avengers face off
1: do you secretly want to be jessica jones or daisy johnson or do you want to be with valkyrie if so you've found your new favorite podcast we're your hosts
2: madam chris and madam amy And we are here to give you the commentary you want.
1: Marvel, minus the mansplaining.
2: Find us wherever you get your podcasts and visit us at themarvelousmadams.com. Madams Assemble.
0: All right. So, Gargoyles. This was a game. First of all, this, this was a game. This was a game originally on the Sega, I think. So, Sega. full disclosure, I'm just going to kind of pull the curtain back on our, pr- our process here. Tactic was like, we're going to talk about Gargoyles. And I was like, okay. And I watched the trailer and I was like, this has never made more sense to me that he wanted to talk about this. So, tactic, the floor is yours. I mean, side-scroller, taking a game that was originally... Uh, Sega, yeah, Sega Genesis game. That was a 2D side-scrolling platformer with essentially 8-bit graphics or near to it, and making it look pretty. This is this is as up your alley as a game can get, I would think. But uh, I'll 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 let you tell me whether or not that's true.
2: Yeah. So this is this is their the Gargoyles game, which is a game that was made off the animated series. It is not canon, so they were made in parallel. So. You're not going to get a a look behind on what the story was. Just go and watch the story. It's fantastic. It's on Disney+, Plus. just like a sidebar. But anyway, the side-scrolling Gargoyles is getting a remake that's coming to the Switch. It's not so much a remake as it is a... It's getting redone for the Switch, and they're adding some additional features, like you can rewind, so that if you kind of screw up an approach or like a platform jump and you just fall into the lava, hey, no big deal, rewind, get that going again, and you'll ace the game and be all good to go. So yeah, side-scroller games are a medium that should never die, so more games being available to the Switch is, really just gets me excited and it's up my alley.
1: I think the coolest part about this, because I believe Disney did this as well with The Lion King, Aladdin, DuckTales, all of those, the ability to go back and forth instantly between like current graphics and old graphics is super cool. But also, and this is probably my showing my lack of skill in these types of games, the ability to save and then like rewind when you make a mistake and mess up because I can't tell you how many times. So I'm going to take you back to like the 90s, right? And I'm just a little nerd bomber. And my mom brings me home the Lion King for the She's second a genesis. a nerd
2: firecracker at this point.
1: And I'm like, this is great. I love I love the Lion King. I'm, I'm a little kid. I love the Lion King. I get to, there's the, I can't wait to be king level of the Lion King. And you have to jump on giraffes and monkeys and make sure you don't fall into the water, otherwise you die. And I very rarely made it past that and was very frustrated. Now, fast forward to, I don't know, whenever the Lion King game came out, again, remastered. I could rewind. I actually was able to finish the game and it was great. I loved it. Yeah. So making these games more accessible 10 out of 10. Not I get that the the solution is really to just like get good, but screw you. I want to be able to have fun and play the game.
0: There is no better place for a rewind feature. I totally agree. I think the rewind feature whoever came up with that idea is it's it's brilliant because there's no better place for it than platformers from this era which if you haven't played like yeah, I've heard a lot about The Lion King. It looks like this game had this too. Even things like Donkey Kong Country, like if you haven't played those games, they are like the hardest games ever. And and, and, and so and unforgiving. Like dying in a shooter or something that has a lot of kind of trappings surrounding it, like it yes, it does feel bad, but it's it stings a lot more when you're playing some 8-bit thing where you have to make a long jump and you miss by a pixel. Like it just it's there's no it's hard to get a redemption arc out of that. It's hard to get a good feeling out of that, even if you wind up making the jump later. So introducing a quick rewind feature, I think is a really, really smart move. I did not know they had done that with the Lion King. I thought that, I thought that was new for this game specifically. And I, I was going to laud this game for that edition but yeah, any any game of this ilk that's remastered should have that feature. It just seems like a no-brainer to me. And I also, I've said this before on the podcast about many, many games that are remastered. Remasters in general, to me, are a no-brainer. I can't imagine game studios don't make oodles of money off of it because they're, I don't want to say they're not doing as much work, but this game is fleshed out. Like there, there are certain things they're taking and they're and they're adding to it certainly, and they're improving the graphics, but the core gameplay, probably the core story, like it's done when you show up. I, I can't imagine that doesn't give you, you know, a lot of good feelings when you're developing it, and probably makes the bottom line a little bit greener than it is red. So. For me, just it's always going to be a yes for me. I don't know that I'll play this game specifically, but I'm all on. I'm all aboard for the idea.
1: Can we talk about like how I feel like this IP should be revived in general?
0: Never watched the show.
1: Really?
2: Never watched the show. It was nope. super
1: yeah. dark and gritty do for you, a kid show.
2: Do you recall b- the Batman
0: animated series? Batman Beyond. No, prior to that, it- I don't. Let me just say, I don't think I was as much of a Saturday morning cartoon person as nerd bomber or certainly you or the x-men
2: so on the heels of the batman animated series these cartoons moved were kind of on this trend to move from a campy comedic thing to these dark brooding style shows and so after the success of batman this show came out with the same dark undertones and was just taken by Storm.
0: I, I certainly, at face value, not knowing basically anything about the show, I appreciate the concept. It's, he's a gargoyle. I assume he comes to life at night and does stuff. Sold. Like, I, 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 Gargoyles look cool. They can be menacing. They have a lot of darkness surrounding them. I, I can appreciate the concept, but for me, that's 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 the water's edge. If I were to play this game, it would be for the gameplay, probably not the story content. But as you said, it is on Disney+. Plus. So at some point, maybe if I get bored, I'll look in that direction.
1: It's short. It got canceled too soon. So there's not too much to go through. So if you ever, even like this is one of those shows where I feel like the last time I watched it, I was maybe like sick. And this is a while ago, like, I don't know, probably five, maybe even 10 years ago. And I dug it up on like the internet at the time because I don't think Disney Plus was not a thing then. I think I just watched old episodes because it was just like, oh, dark and gritty. This is fun. Well, I had like the flu or something.
0: This release for this game, well-timed for spooky season, 19th October of this year. So you have about a month to wait. Technic, there's, I don't think there's a price point for this yet. Is this a day one buy? No, it is not. Wow. Surprised to hear, but... And my
2: backlog is too deep. And if if I'm being completely honest, I'm a big fan of playing the original games on the original console. So alternatively, I'll probably look into playing it on an, on an older console and using the resurgence of this game as justification to spend the cash
0: yeah uh, so you're a purist is what you're saying yeah you're a purist Uh, i respect that well 19th october for anyone who is interested in playing cargoyles remastered this brings us to what are you up to wednesday guys i have been so excited for what are you up to wednesday this whole episode i've been just clamoring to get to what are you up to wednesday something something monumental has happened Okay, for those that have listened to this show for really any amount of time, they know that a frequently occurring motif is Nerd Bomber will provide me a suggestion for a game or a movie or a book or whatever, typically a game, and say, hey, you should really play this. And I take that suggestion slash recommendation. I throw it in a garbage can and light it on fire, never to be seen or heard of again. Our less like our, our, our more seasoned viewers will remember that she recently played a game called Inscription that she recommended to me, probably with some some real emphasis uh, and for good reason. And I said, sure, maybe, as I always do. Well, I did play Inscription. And and in fact, you know, in the past couple weeks, I, I missed last week's episode, as you probably know. I have played it from start to finish. Not that it's a very long game, but I bought it on a whim for, I think, like $12 on the Switch eShop. Played through the whole thing it is magnificent. It is probably, it's hard for me to call it my game of the year because it's not very recent, I don't think. But it's my personal game of the year at this point. It pales. You love to hear n- it. Everything, everything else seems to pale in comparison to the experience I had with this game. It's, a, it's incredibly unique. It scratches a lot of itches for me. It has puzzle elements. It has a deck building element. Nerd Bomber really hit the nail on the head with this one. She deserves all the credit in the world. I can't really say much more about it without taking things to Spoiler Town because it is a very meta fictional experience. So I will kind of leave the listener to if they are interested go and buy this. I also as I've often done on the show, want to shout out the Switch eShop because this cost $12 and it was like incredible. And I just bought another game for $10 that I expect I'll also get a lot of play out of. So Switch eShop you're you're doing you're doing a good thing. I guess that that's all I'm going to say. I've been playing that. The other thing I wanted to shout out in my update this week is a book called Moonflower Murders. And if it sounds similar to the last book I read, Magpie Murders, it's because it's by the same author and it's part of the same series. And uh, it's still good. So I'm really st- I'm really on my on my mystery kick. I'm staying there. I intend to stay there. I have other books lined up behind this one that are all going to be whodunits. And yeah, I, I, again, I don't want to say anything specific about it because it, it, it may be a spoiler to do so, but really enjoying that I'm as well. I'm just Googling
1: this out. Did you know that there making a i think, i want to say this is a tv not a movie adaptation yeah pbs and bbc are making a adaptation of moonflower murders
0: i did not i knew so i know that there is a magpie murders adaptation which i may watch i haven't yet i also like moonflower murders is referencing a lot of things that happened in magpie murders so i definitely want to try and finish out this series i think it's a two book series i think it's done i don't know for sure but yeah i may circle back and watch those shows not that i've watched many bbc shows but my single experience with them which was sherlock was pretty positive so yeah i have some intention of of going back and, and and looking at that but i was i was not aware that moonflower murders also had a series so good to know i don't think i've watched anything of note recently. I mean, I'm, I'm continuing through Only Merge in the Building and also in like season seven of ER, which continues to be absolutely phenomenal. For the time being, I think I'll leave it at that. And I will throw things over to Miguel, Nerd Bomber, to continue taking us through What Are You Up To Wednesday.
1: All right. So one of the biggest things, if anybody knows me, I have been wanting to watch Marcel the Shell with Susan for a very long time. And I've been waiting for it anxiously to come to streaming. And finally, I just bit the bullet and we rented it. And oh my God, this was amazing. We literally watched it last night.
0: This is a movie and, you know, I'm sorry to bring up Rotten Tomatoes again, but this movie has a 98%. I remember when this movie came out on Rotten Tomatoes, 98% certified fresh on 193 reviews, pretty much universally beloved. Yes. And it sounds like for for good reason.
1: Now, are you familiar? And I know Tactic is already, but are you familiar with the youtube series that was created by dean fleischer camp and jenny slate
0: i have never watched it i am familiar with the concept but i've never watched any of it
1: okay well this is basically if you're not familiar the youtube series was a bunch of shorts about this little shell with a googly eye who also had shoes on and it was just very cute campy stuff and marcel always had like insights about the world that were just like very wholesome and touching and so they expanded it in 2021. They made a longer form mockumentary about Marcel the Shell. And, you know, it's all very like stop motion on live action backgrounds. Fantastic. The the story is essentially that Marcel the Shell with shoes on, he and his grandmother have been left alone because the rest of his family was forcibly removed from their home when the humans that lived in their house got divorced. You know, the majority of them got packed up unwillingly. And, you know, he's just been there then with his grandmother, longing for his family, but, you know, making do just the two of them. And then Dean, who is a filmmaker, is going through his own divorce and moves into this Airbnb because the house Marcel lives in is being rented out as an Airbnb. And He forms a friendship with Marcel and then starts, you know, documenting him, putting him on YouTube, kind of like, you know, calling back to when he became popular on YouTube back in the day, but more fleshing out his story then and showing what happens to Marcel and giving him a little bit more of a story. And when I tell you that this movie had me in literal tears over a fake shell. Like it is uplifting and emotional and very insightful about the world and life and loss and, you know, dealing with the idea that, you know, the world is bigger than our little bubbles typically are and how we connect with people and the Internet. It was just such an insightful wholesome movie i would recommend everybody go watch this and for people who are not who are not familiar with marcel the shell they're probably going to watch a trailer and be like why would i want to watch a 90 minute movie about this stop motion shell but just yeah you, you got to do it it seems stupid at first but you just got to do it
2: and it's it's a little slow to kind of get off the ground you sure. but well I'm, I'm talking just from a you know not a super marcel the, the shell fangirl standpoint If you're just watching the movie and you have kind of no background of this, just bear with it the first 20 minutes and then it really takes off. That's just my one piece of advice.
1: Like this is probably one of the better movies that I've watched in a really long time. And I mean, it's A24, not a huge surprise here. A24 is also awesome because I think weren't they one of the only studios so far to uh, agree to the new SAG-AFTRA contract stuff so i think they're yeah
0: i i think they're kind of just flying over all of it somehow but mm. yeah they're they're like they're paying people like it's yeah. yeah they are doing doing right by people and yeah like you said i think they're the only one so so yeah, shout out day 24
1: if for that reason alone definitely go watch this movie it was fantastic i'm sorry if you also end up sobbing over a little a little fake shell but yeah i am obsessed again I've been obsessed with Marcel the Shell, but like I was looking up, I was like, ooh, maybe I need a Marcel the Shell mug. Maybe I need a Marcel the Shell t-shirt. Like, here we go, Marcel. So it's like one of the most heartwarming and like feel good movies that I've watched in a while. Sweet.
0: Uh, Anything else to update us on or are we swinging over to to T-Dog?
1: I mean, that was the main update. I'm still playing Detective Pikachu, working my way through that. I have Starfield downloaded on my Xbox, but I have not started that yet i feel like once i get into that it's going to eat my life so i've been waiting and holding off a little bit when the weather gets crappier and i have a little bit more time i will probably be in that world forever
0: i think that's a really good plan based on what i've heard about about starfield and and yeah how we've talked about how deep it is so yeah tactic you want to close this out here yeah so we finished the after
2: party i want to give props to nerd bomber she accurately figured it out before we knew who it was season one or season two season two
0: it's actually my secret segment for last month was about the after party and about how i did not care for it
2: but but go on okay well that's your own issues but (laughs) we enjoyed it we enjoyed it very
0: much
1: i didn't watch your secret segment now i feel like i have to watch it so i can be sad
0: i mean that's your decision i don't know i gave it a three episode shake and it wasn't doing it for me i appreciated the concept but i couldn't I wasn't. I wasn't jiving with it.
1: I do think this season is a little bit better. But you continue. didn't finish.
2: You're a psychopath. Anyway, so we finished that. Enjoyed it. It's always a good time. It's a great show to watch. Illegal has no taste. And then the other thing is That's true. I started my. So those of you who follow our YouTube channel, you know, every now and then I sprinkle in a DIY project. And I've kind of just fallen off the wagon on that as a whole. And the only thing that i am consistent with is coming up with a halloween gadget that i make myself and so i have started my plans with a halloween gadget and got a this little $30 like mini projector it's it's kind of amazing it's like about the the cross sectional area of a cell phone but it's thicker but like that's very small for a projector and it's the quality's pretty good. I'm I'm thinking of doing something where I either project my face or make some kind of decorations come to life on their face like they'll they'll be blank and then their face will be just a projected movie, a little animated thing. So something along that vein, but at this time I'm just kind of playing around with its capabilities and TBD. So that's a lot of
0: fun. Yeah, your your face your face is scary. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> i'm kidding man your face is great and with that i'll save some other stuff for next week so that means it's, it's time for you to take us to quiz town you're the you're the quiz conductor today let me update on the records before we get into it tactic you're the top dog my friend nine and eight nerd bomber eight and ten your boy illegal six, eight and eleven steven three and one congrats to steven that's a solid record so what this means is that nerd bomber and myself this week are playing for second place and to avoid the dreaded punishment so i'm a yeah i'm invested i mean i always am but more so this week
1: we're getting close to the end of the year guys where did the time go
0: it's 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 coming up so interestingly enough the topic is
2: actually gargoyles as well so this we're getting a double header on what the the gargoyles
0: content is for for this which i've previously mentioned that i know nothing about so let me just hedge a little bit before we begin
1: I mean, to be fair, even though I know about the show, I would have no idea what the statistics are. So,
0: Oh, yeah. This has literally benefited me in the past. In fact, I think the last time I won, it was something I knew nothing about. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm game.
2: All right. So then I'm just going to throw it out there. I don't remember who goes first. But the first question is, when did Gargoyles, the animated series, first air? It would be it would be Nerd Bomber.
0: Her record is better.
1: I think it's going to be 1988. Just swing in here.
0: No, it's it's later than that. In, in fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use my plus one immediately. 1989.
1: Hat out the kitchen.
2: So Illegally uses his plus one to great avail. The Gargoyles animated series aired October 24th, 1994 and ran till February 15th, 1997. Within that window, how many episodes
0: were there? Oh, uh, pfft, very few. T- uh, 24. 24.
1: I'll go ahead and use my plus one here, 25, because I think it was only on for a couple seasons, but I feel like they were long-ish seasons.
2: So there was a total of 78 half-hour episodes produced. The first season had 13 episodes. The last season had 13 episodes. And the second season ran for a total of 52 episodes. That is where the meat of the lore was contained.
1: Well, I mean, back in the day, a lot of the animated shows and even like sitcoms, seasons were super long like we're they so have used at least to 20 episodes yeah, yeah we're so used to them having like 10 episodes max now but it used to be like triple sometimes obviously what is five times the number is there a word for that i don't know
0: the, the standard for hour-long shows back in the day was like 24 or 25 episodes so yeah not so much anymore but yeah not, so we both plus one and it's now that we have a, a clean slate three question quiz okay so now we're going to get into a little bit of facts about gargoyles themselves.
2: So if you didn't know, gargoyles were actually used as a decorative piece to channel the flow of water off of rooftops. There was plumbing inside of these bad boys.
0: When were they first used this way?
1: This was like Gothic times. I don't know when that time period was. 1200.
0: It's an extremely strong guess. It's actually the number I was thinking of. I'm going to go earlier and say 900 because I think it's somewhere in there.
2: So, the first appearance was between 1200 and 1220 oh, AD. What? The Nerd Bomber takes this one. And the reason why I clarified using them as to flow water, because technically the definition of gargoyle is a large statue. And those can be taken way, 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 way back into history.
0: Well, I mean, I couldn't have done anything. So, the well fact done. that
1: I literally pulled the Gothic era out of my booty hole incredible.
0: Her booty hole is pretty Gothic. That's true. Okay.
2: Well, I. I... The pressure is on me now. So a famous fixture containing gargoyles is the Notre Dame Cathedral in France. How many gargoyles are on this cathedral? And I'm talking originally. So like... I appreciate this question. So like, we're not going to do, oh, well, there's like this many left because of erosion and stuff.
0: I mean, Notre Dame or Notre Dame, if you want to get French with it, It's it's, it's a sizable building. I'm 24. I'm going 24 again. I I used that answer and it didn't work, but I'm going to use it again.
1: Well, so it has like multiple spires and it's a big building. And I feel like they were not only just on corners, but I feel like they were like sprinkled throughout and on different levels as well. I'm going to swing for the fences here. I'm going to say 40.
2: Currently, there are 39 remaining lion-headed water drains in the Temple of Zeus. Originally, there were 102 populating the temple's gutters and so nerd bomber takes lot. this one wow you damn and, it and she takes damn it way too early you gotta let me finish when my you sentences. said
1: 39 my heart just sunk i was like are you kidding me but here we here we are so yeah, this okay, so i wait. have
0: lost yeah i've lost but let's let's wrap things up here with with the final question so i can see if i can redeem some some dignity how big is the largest gar- gargoyle
2: in the world
1: in what and units? Nerd bomber,
2: you go first in feet
1: i feel like these bad boys have to be pretty big i'm gonna say the biggest one was like 15 feet
2: bigger than that 30 feet just double it all right so illegal bust the largest one is found in japan it was actually made by like modern times which is like it feels like cheating but whatever uh it was made in 2005 and it's 29 feet six
0: inches tall wow so i was six inches off are you serious yeah that's that's booty cheeks i mean it doesn't really matter i guess but uh that's still upsetting. Okay. Uh, well, Nirbomber moves to 9 and 10. I move to 8 and 12. Punishment is a real possibility for me at this point, which I don't love, but there's a there's a whole lot of year left. So I said I didn't know anything about Gargoyles, and it turns out that I was basically correct. We thank you all for showing up, spending some time with us, listening to this show. If you want to head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review there. We would appreciate it. Whether it's good or it's bad, it gives us something to operate on. Have a great week. Have a great start to the fall season and stay safe and keep on podcasting.